Section 32 of History of Henry IV, King of France and Navarre by John Stevens Cabot Abbott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 12, The Reign of Henry IV and His Death, Part 1. The reconciliation of the king with the pope presented a favorable opportunity for the Duke of Mayenne, consistently with his pride, to abandon the hopeless conflict. He declared that as the pope had accepted the conversion of the king, all his scruples were removed, and that he could now conscientiously accept him as the sovereign of France. But the power of the haughty duke may be seen in the terms he exacted. The king was compelled to declare, though he knew to the contrary, that all things considered, it was evident that neither the princes nor the princesses of the League were at all implicated in the assassination of Henry III, and to stop all proceedings in Parliament in reference to that atrocious murder. Three fortified cities were surrendered to the Duke, to be held by him and his partisans for six years, in pledge for the faithful observance of the terms of the capitulation. The King also assumed all the debts which Mayenne had contracted during the war, and granted a term of six weeks to all the leaguers, who were still in arms, to give in their adhesion and to accept his clemency. The king was at this time at Monceau. The Duke of Mayenne hastened to meet him. He found Henry riding on horseback in the beautiful park of that place with the fair Gabrielle, and accompanied by the Duke of Sully. Mayenne, in compliance with the obsequious etiquette of those days, kneeled humbly before the king, embraced his knees, and assuring him of his entire devotion for the future, thanked the monarch for having delivered him from the arrogance of the Spaniards and from the cunning of the Italians. Henry, who had a vein of waggery about him, immediately raised the duke, embraced him with the utmost cordiality, and taking his arm, without any allusion whatever to their past difficulties, led him through the park, pointing out to him with great volubility and cheerfulness the improvements he was contemplating. Henry was a well-built, vigorous man, and walked with great rapidity. Mayenne was excessively corpulent and lame with gout. With the utmost difficulty he kept up with the king, panting, limping, and his face blazing with the heat. Henry, with sly malice, for some time appeared not to notice the sufferings of his victim. Then, with a concealed smile, he whispered to Sully, "'If I walk this great fat body much longer,' I shall avenge myself without any further trouble. Then turning to Mayenne, he added, Tell me the truth, cousin. Do I not walk a little too fast for you? Sire, exclaimed the puffing duke, I am almost dead with fatigue. There's my hand, exclaimed the kind-hearted king again, cordially embracing the duke. Take it, for on my life this is all the vengeance I shall ever seek. There were still parts of the kingdom which held out against Henry, and Spain and Flanders freely supplied men and ammunition to the fragments of the League. Calais was in the hands of the enemy. Queen Elizabeth of England had ceased to take much interest in the conflict since the king had gone over to the Catholics. When Calais was besieged by the foe, before its surrender she offered to send her fleet for its protection if Henry would give the city to her. Henry tartly replied, 
I had rather be plundered by my enemies than by my friends. The queen was offended, sent no succor, and Calais passed into the hands of the leaguers. The king was exceedingly distressed at the loss of this important town. It indicated new and rising energy on the part of his foes. The more fanatical Catholics, all over the kingdom, who had never been more than half reconciled to Henry, were encouraged to think that after all their defeats resistance might still be successful. The heroic energies of the king were, however, not depressed by this great disaster. When its surrender was announced, turning to the gentlemen of his court, he calmly said, My friends, there is no remedy. Calais is taken, but we must not lose our courage. It is in the midst of disasters that bold men grow bolder. Our enemies have had their turn. With God's blessing, who has never abandoned me when I have prayed to him with my whole heart, we shall yet have ours. At any event, I am greatly comforted by the conviction that I have omitted nothing that was possible to save the city. All of its defenders have acquitted themselves loyally and nobly. Let us not reproach them. On the contrary, let us do honor to their generous defense. And now, let us rouse our energies to retake the city, that it may remain in the hands of the Spaniards not so many days as our ancestors left it years in the hands of the English. A large body of the nobles now combined to extort from the king some of the despotic feudal privileges which existed in the twelfth century. They thought that in this hour of reverse, Henry would be glad to purchase their powerful support by surrendering many of the prerogatives of the crown. After holding a meeting, they appointed the Duke of Montpensier, who was very young and self-sufficient, to present their demands to the king. Their plan was this, that the king should consent to the division of France into several large departments, over each of which, as a vassal prince, some distinguished nobleman should reign, collecting his own revenues and maintaining his own army. Each of these vassal nobles was to be bound when required to furnish a military contingent to their liege lord, the king. Montpensier entered the presence of the monarch, and in a long discourse urged the insulting proposal. The king listened calmly and without interrupting him to the end. Then in tones, unimpassioned but firm and deliberate, he replied, my cousin, you must be insane. Such language coming from you and addressed to me leads me to think that I am in a dream. Views so full of insult to the sovereign and ruin to the state cannot have originated in your benevolent and upright mind. Think you that the people, having stripped me of the august prerogatives of royalty, would respect in you the rights of a prince of the blood? Did I believe that you in heart desired to see me thus humiliated, I would teach you that such an offense is not to be committed with impunity. My cousin, abandon these follies. Reveal not your accomplices, but reply to them that you yourself have such a horror of these propositions that you will hold him as a deadly enemy who shall ever speak to you of them again. This firmness crushed the conspiracy, but still darkness and gloom seemed to rest upon unhappy France. The year 1596 was one of famine and pestilence. We had, says a writer of the Times, summer in April, autumn in May, 
winter in june in the city and in the country thousands perished of starvation famishing multitudes crowded to the gates of the city in search of food but in the city the plague had broken forth the authorities drove the mendicants back into the country they carried with them the awful pestilence in every direction at the same time several attempts were made to assassinate the king though he escaped the knife of the assassin he came near losing his life by a singular accident the princess of navarre sister of the king had accompanied him with the rest of the court into picardy she was taken suddenly ill the king called to see her carrying in his arms his infant son the idolized child of the fair gabrielle while standing by the bedside of his sister from some unexplained cause the flooring gave way beneath them henry instinctively sprang upon the bed with his child providentially that portion of the floor remained firm while all the rest was precipitated with a crash into the rooms below neither henry his sister or his child sustained any injury the financial condition of the empire was in a state of utter ruin a ruin so hopeless that the almost inconceivable story is told that the king actually suffered both for food and raiment he at times made himself merry with his own ragged appearance at one time he said gaily when the parliament sent the president seguier to remonstrate against a fiscal edict i only ask to be treated as they treat the monks with food and clothing now mr president i often have not enough to eat as for my habiliments look and see how i am accoutred and he pointed to his faded and threadbare doublet le grain a contemporary writes i have seen the king with a plain doublet of white stuff all soiled by his cuirass and torn at the sleeve and with well-worn breeches unsewn on the side of the sword-belt while the king was thus destitute the members of the council of finance were practising gross extortion and living in extravagance the king was naturally light-hearted and gay but the deplorable condition of the kingdom occasionally plunged him into the deepest of melancholy a lady of the court one day remarked to him that he looked sad indeed he replied how can i be otherwise to see a people so ungrateful toward their king though i have done and still do all i can for them and though for their welfare i would willingly sacrifice a thousand lives had god given me so many as i have often proved yet they daily attempt my life the council insisted that it was not safe for the king to leave so many of the leaguers in the city and urged their banishment the king refused saying they are all my subjects and i wish to love them equally the king now resolved notwithstanding strong opposition from the catholics to place his illustrious protestant friend sully at the head of the ministry of finance sully entered upon his herculean task with shrewdness which no cunning could baffle and with integrity which no threat or bribe could bias all the energies of calumny malice and violence were exhausted upon him but this majestic man moved straight on heedless of the storm till he caused order to emerge from apparently inextricable confusion and by just and healthy measures replenished the bankrupt treasury of the state the king was now pushing the siege of amiens which had for some time been in the hands of his enemies 
During this time he wrote to his devoted friend and faithful ministry of finance, I am very near the enemy, yet I have scarcely a horse upon which I can fight, or a suit of armour to put on. My doublet is in holes at the elbows, my kettle is often empty. For these last two days I have dined with one and another as I could. My purveyors inform me that they have no longer the means of supplying my table. On the 25th of June, 1597, Amiens capitulated. End of section 32